You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, how you are handling the slippery conditions? <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I mentioned, it's funny you say that because we mentioned this yesterday. The dogs needed to respond after struggling a little bit against the Blues a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but I, I can tell from your voice already you, you're happy this morning. You're a lot happier than you were that night. Yeah, that's for sure. Look, getting a victory wasn't the greatest game, but again, I I don't need 20 goals kicked each team for each team to be a good game. I thought it was a, a fought hard game. That's the words I'm trying to find. I thought uh, both teams showed you know, strong flashes. They had you know, extended times in their forward line and couldn't convert for both squads, which is always frustrating as a supporter, but it was a hard-fought game. Uh there was always there's always contentiousness around holding the ball every single game, but I didn't think it detracted huge amounts from this overall uh, overall game, despite the, the low goal score. I thought it was a pretty entertaining Thursday night performance in Gold Coast uh, for their first uh, prime time not on free to air game. Yeah, I mean the Gold Coast will be waking up this morning feeling pretty terrible, I reckon, because that was a game they probably should have won. And and we we spoke a little bit before we started recording. I said, "Geez, your your boys were pretty lucky," and I thought they were particularly in the, towards uh, the second quarter, towards halftime, and then obviously at the end of the game, uh, it was all Gold Coast, and the Bulldogs just could not get the ball out of uh, their back half. The Suns had all the play, and I think in many respects, and it's hard to know what role the conditions played in this, but there was times I was watching the Suns with the ball and they were banging it inside 50, and they were playing the conditions well, I thought, but it was also you know, easier, let's say, for the Bulldogs' defense to be able to mop up in those wet conditions. There was drop marks, there was fumbles, and, and it became a bit of a scrap uh, there. But the, the Bulldogs certainly breathed in a heavy sigh of relief when that siren went because uh, the Suns had their chances. Yeah, they had in that last five, six minutes, they had a ton of the ball down in the forward 50. I think that, yeah, we look at it, the Suns easily won the inside 50 count, 47, 37. They had, you know, more clearances. They had, uh, they, they had more score, or sorry, same scoring shots. But I think you have to give a significant amount of credit to the way the Bulldogs backline played. Um, we had you know, Hayden Crozier, who was almost the best man on the ground for big portions of that game. Bailey Williams with some big you know, game-saving efforts towards the end there. Alex Keith, I thought, was fantastic. Easton Wood, you know, with some some huge grabs, including one right at the end uh, on the siren to, to pretty much seal the game after Bontempelli took the intercept mark. I thought the Bulldogs' backline made it really tough, and you can have a look just at the conversions there. You know, Almost eight inside 50s per goal for Gold Coast versus five for the Bulldogs, and that is... Yeah, some of that is you know, pressure from the midfield, but I think most of it coming in this game was uh, Zane Cordy, the other one who I thought was really, really good. That Bulldogs defense was just not giving anything up, and they were being bombarded for big portions of the game. Yeah, the two guys that stood out for me, Easton Wood, uh, shout out to him. It was definitely the podcast bump that he got <laughs> in, in, in this game. Uh, eight intercept 
possessions in this game. Alex Keith had nine. I thought those two certainly stood out because it was the high balls coming in. Corrosion was great. And, and the little guys, I thought JJ was pretty good as well in terms of rebounding the ball. But I thought those two taller defenders, there was a couple of times there where Easton Wood, he didn't get a stat for it, but he spoiled, uh, no doubt, saved the goal uh, on multiple occasions. So, so Keith and Easton Wood for mine, I, I think that they would have walked off uh, feeling Pretty pleased about their performance and, and, like I said, relieved that they were able to hang on. I looked at this game at halftime, and I'm not sure how you were feeling as a Bulldogs fan, but when I looked at the stats, uh, disposals plus one to the Dogs. Contested possessions were tied at 60. Inside 50s, though, Gold Coast were plus eight, and the disposal efficiency was basically identical, 69.7 for the Suns and 69.5 for the Dogs. So even across the board, but it didn't feel that way because the Suns had all the play in their front half and the second quarter is maybe more so even than the last where the Suns lost the game. They, they missed a bunch of easy opportunities in front of goals and out in the full there as well. They just were not able to capitalize. And I could not believe that the Dogs were on front, in front on the scoreboard at halftime. And I thought that that was real danger signs for the Suns. So if I'm going to look at a positive, I think Gold Coast's ability to uh, go in there at halftime and say, well, shit, we might have really blown this and still respond and, and come out in the fourth quarter, I thought was impressive because the, the Dogs threw that early punch in the second half. Yeah, they, they did. But I think one thing that w- if you don't watch the game if, or if, you, if you're just looking at the numbers, sometimes it can be a little bit harder to, to judge. Like, so we talk about the Gold Coast missing some easy, easy shots. The Bulldogs had six shots a goal that didn't register a score. And that doesn't get included in a you know, 7-9 versus 6-10 or scoring shots. Like that's, that is, and that was shots from 40 meters out, 35, 45 meters out. So you even put you know, three of those in, then the game is a very, very different situation. And while Gold Coast did have a couple of those, like six of those is a extraordinary number to have six shots within 50 that did not register a single score. And that is also something. But how often have you ever seen a, uh, a Ruckman tag an opposing Ruckman and be one of the best players on the ground, Jared Witts, with seven disposals of his own, but limiting Tim English, who's averaging 20 touches a game, to only nine. He went with him everywhere, and it was a massive effort. He was always going to beat him in the hitouts. That happens every week. But he effectively tagged a Ruckman. Yeah, he did. And I think that, that probably English can expect more of that because it worked. And and we saw last week he was best on ground, and he was absolutely everywhere. Uh, you're right. He, he doesn't get the hitouts, and I know... You know, generally, as anyone that listens to this podcast for since we started knows, you're not a big fan of the hitouts. But I think last night, if you see that, and this is something we start to see a trend, in, you will understand that at some point English is going to have to start getting his hands on the ball. He's he, he was too small, and then that's what it looked like—just pure size and bulk. Even around the ground, there was a couple of times where English gave up the free kick because Wits was just a, a monster. He's been in the league for ten years. Uh, he's more mature in that regard. But when I look at English's stats again, the hitouts, and and this is a trend all season. And the Bulldogs are only averaging 17 hitouts for the entire season. That's okay around the, the center clearances because we know their midfield is able to withstand that. They've got a first-rate uh, midfield that uh, win the ball at those center clearances and can get the ball inside 50. But the stoppage clearances were in favor of the Suns, 31 to 20. The interesting thing for mine with Tim English, when you look at it, hitouts to advantage, his hitout to advantage rate on the season, 30.1%. That's actually higher than Brody Grundy, yep. Nick Nat. And Todd Goldstein. So obviously the sample size is smaller because he's not getting as many hitouts. But the point is, when he gets his hand on the ball, he's pretty good. At the moment, one out of every three hitouts is to advantage. That's an extremely high rate 
for a first uh, first option ruckman. So uh, we'll see if this is a trend. There's no doubt, though. English, as he continues to develop, at some point is going to have to get his hands on the ball a little more. Yeah, well, the thing is, if he does get his hand on the ball more with the way he's been able to direct it, that could be really dangerous for, for other teams. But, of course, yeah. you know, in larger volume, that may not swing that direction. But he has been really good in that. Uh, he adds to advantage percentage. But let's look now at uh, some of the, the AFL lineups, the teams that came in last night. What's uh, the big one for me, of course, Toby Green in tonight uh, to help GWS really right the ship against Richmond. He, and as much as, as a Bulldogs fan, I dislike him. He is an influential player, and he is going to, uh, he could actually be a, a swing factor in this game. Yeah, I mean, we said the Giants come into this one under pressure. Interesting from Richmond's point of view. I mentioned that Asbury had to get through a test. He didn't get up. He's not going to be playing. Uh, Josh Cuddy goes out. So they lose another premiership player and they bring in Patrick Nace. So <laughs> Nace, so the Tigers, their lineup continues to be inexperienced guys that, that haven't played as many games as all these premiership stars are out. But we've seen thus far in the last two weeks in particular, the Tigers have been able to withstand that. Yeah, they have. And uh, it's just been more for uh, Eglamessi Smith season for, uh, Derek for Smith. Richmond. Derek Smith, there you go. You get get some more, get big Derek into your uh, into your lineups because it's a big opportunity again for him against uh, G, uh, GWS tonight. But other interesting ones: North Melbourne hit again. Zebel, of course, out. Marley Williams and Mason Wood both omitted. Um, Sam Reed returning for Sydney. I think that's interesting. We know they've had issues with big men all season, so getting Reed back, who knows how uh, how healthy and how good he's going to look out there. But getting him back is good. Some uh, new players: Matthew Ling and Keegan Brooksby in that game for Sydney and Hawthorne, respectively. And then uh, what else we have in Port Adelaide? Justin Wessoff uh, omitted. Yeah, he was quiet last week against Carlton. He, he was he played the whole game, or well, the majority of the game, didn't get his hands on the ball a lot. I do wonder, I mean, they use the words omitted. I, I do wonder whether this is like, okay, we're coming into this stretch in the schedule that everyone's spoken about. We might start to rotate guys in and out. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe that's not the case, and it's just poor form uh, for Westhoff. He's 33 now. Uh, it's hard to believe. I mean, he was, uh, he was a young fella in that 2007 grand final team. Uh, back then, it's hard to believe he was playing in that game. But they get Brad Ebert back, uh, as well as losing Ryan Burton and Stephen Motlop, both to injuries. Uh, sucks to see Ryan Burton out. Again, I, I spoke about his influence off the half-back line, powerful leg, uh, ability to use that left foot. So he's a guy that's had injuries throughout his career and um, was super talent. He just has to stay out there on the field. And for the Saints... Uh, Jack Loney admitted, which is kind of interesting because in that game against Adelaide on the weekend, there were certainly a couple of occasions, and it's probably happened over the last few weeks, where uh, maybe he didn't do the team thing, got a little bit hungry around the goals. He's a typical small forward, and I, I wonder what part that plays in this one and Josh Battle goes out uh, injured. He's been pretty good for the Saints over the, the last few weeks and obviously been a part of their success. Yeah, caught that massive knock to the face where his yeah. his face was cut right open. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's got to battle those uh, facial issues now uh, for him to return. Um, and we still don't have we don't have the teams for Monday night's game at this point. We'll of course talk about that one on Monday. But um, should we go on to uh, what what we want to watch across the weekend here? Oh, we should, and this this might shock everyone because they'll know to this point in the season, I really haven't had anything positive to say about Adelaide at all. Uh, but I am I'm going I'm going down that path today. I'm going to yeah. say that this is a real chance. This is a real chance for the Crows to win a game against the Bombers. Uh, we know Essendon injury depleted. Uh, still no Heppel. Still no. Uh, Dylan Shiel, who is out with suspension. Now they lose Kyle Hooker as well. So, I mean, there's some real experience uh, out of this Essendon team. 
They've been shaky. They looked pretty bad against the Bulldogs last week, non-competitive, particularly out of the midfield when they lose those clearance monsters that uh, have been so vital to them controlling the footy and being able to get those inside 50s. But for Adelaide, in the third quarter last week, they really blew their opportunity against the Saints. They looked like they were coming at Adelaide Oval in front of fans, first time they've had that, and they looked like they were in the game. And when I say in the game, I mean mentally in the game and prepared to, to work hard. I haven't seen that all season long. Just two guys that I want to mention before I get your thoughts, uh, Josh. Ben Case, last week's seven clearances, 23 possessions and a goal. I thought that he was one of the guys in the team. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the Crouch brothers and they don't really use the ball in an attacking manner. They rack up the disposals, but they're all these short, dinky kicks, little handballs. Ben Keyes is a guy that's physical. He's aggressive. He wins a contested ball, helps you around the clearances and will bang the ball forward. So I thought Ben Keyes, Keyes was impressive. And then Tom Dode. 18 possessions, 10 marks. He played like 27 games or something. He was the captain last week, 402 metres gained, seven intercept possessions. When they were in control of the game, he was the guy that basically blocked that uh, that uh, rebound 50 from the Saints and just kept pumping it back in there. Uh, they weren't able to score, unfortunately. But, geez, he's, he's an impressive player to be a captain after playing that many games. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was pretty good. But on, on to your early, um, uh, earlier one about um, Keys, I, th- I thought he was really impressive. Like, he was really hard at it. I th- he's, he was popping up all over the field. I thought he was super impressive for Adelaide. But I, I think that we might be falling victim a little bit here to the overreaction stakes. Remember just a couple of weeks ago, Essendon really dominated Collingwood. Yes, they were bad against the Bulldogs last week. But again, before that game, they'd lost one game. Hey, Essendon, game in hand. They're going to top four. Is this the opportunity for them? They got smashed off the park last Friday night. But now does that mean that they're a chance to lose to one of the worst teams we've seen in recent history? Uh, I'm not sure about that. The injuries are an absolute concern for them. But I I think that Essendon will be... uh, I think they'll be feeling a little bit annoyed at the at the talk of you know, maybe Adelaide getting over the top here. Yeah, losing Hooker is not great. Phillips was poor last week, but he gets uh, replaced there. Bell Chambers is back. They uh, they're not looking at their best for sure, but I think that they should still be able to get this one yeah, relatively comfortably. I don't know, man. I don't know. They look shaky to me. And remember, you say that it was the overreaction, but remember a few weeks back, this is prior to the Collingwood win, when we were talking about who we thought might drop out of the eight. We both said Essendon. We both said Essendon is the team that we would predict to fall out. I'm not just sold on the Bombers uh, at all, and it doesn't help when you lose those players. Last week against the Dogs, again, uh, Shield is the guy. We spoke about the clearances, but they were minus seven against the Dogs last week, 23 for the game, down on 29 that they're averaging on the season, and it fell down to the guy we thought. McGrath had six, led the team. Uh, he, you know, There's a lot of pressure on him as a, as a young fellow. Now, I know he's been in the league for, for a couple of years now, but if there's one area that the Crows aren't worried about, it's winning the clearances. This is even without Rory Sloan because uh, all the criticism they get, the Crouch Brothers, they will win you a clearance. They've got Riley O'Brien, a really talented ruckman. So I, I just think maybe this is an opportunity for the Adelaide to get on the on the right end of the inside 50s and the right end of controlling the footy, which is not something they've done all year long. The other one I want to take a look at this week, uh, or one of the ones I want to take a look at, is Carlton and North. Now, on the surface, it doesn't seem like an exciting game necessarily. North is in free fall, but without Zebel, they get Cam Zerha back, so that's yeah, helpful for them. But Carlton yeah, showed us a lot. You know, beat the Bulldogs came within a kick of beating Port and probably should have beaten them if not for a couple of late mistakes there to enable Robbie Gray to get that kick. They need to 
they need to show, not only win this game, but they need to win it pretty comfortably. They've had lots of close calls this season. Yeah, close loss against Melbourne, close loss against uh, Port, yeah, close win against Long. I think they need to get this one. Uh, not only get the win, but they need to do it relatively comfortably so that they can have a bit of confidence or a bit more confidence after what was a bit of a, uh, not shocking, but a, a a loss that could come back to haunt you later in the season. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about the close games they've had, two wins, two losses in those games decided by three points or fewer. So yesterday when we talked about how teams are going to approach the upcoming fixture and rest guys, uh, and I mentioned what Richmond might do, well, Carlton, is one of those teams that probably isn't in the camp where they can, uh, you know, air quote, throw a game. Not that the, that's what any team is trying to do, but they're not in that position. They're a team that is, you know, a sneaky chance, a slight chance to flirt with the eight. I don't personally think they're going to get there, but if they are going to be in contention, this is absolutely must win. I think it's a great sign for them that there's no changes. This Carlton team over, over the last four, five, six years always changes. Always guys coming in and out. They're trying to figure out the... The key position slots, they're trying to figure out the bottom end of the team, but uh, they've been great. And you look at the bench even on this team as it's as it's named, with guys like David Cunningham's had a fantastic season and Ed Curnow, the veteran, still one of their best contested players, clearance players. Uh, the side just has a bit of stability about it, and that's not not something we've said uh, with them for a long time. Yeah, exactly. It is it is great to see them yeah, pushing up, and that's two big weeks in a row that they've got to make it three here rather than yeah, going back and forward. It yeah. is finally Sam Doherty's 100th game as well, so that's huge for him. Uh, yeah, it's it's taken a long time, obviously, but he is, uh, he's playing pretty well. He's been a little bit off the last couple of games, I'd say, but uh, really good for him. It was a big game from Walsh last week. They should be able to get this one comfortably. But they need to get it comfortably so that it doesn't feel like, again, a, a one-step-forward-two-steps-back scenario. Wow, that's incredible. Sam Doherty, 100 games. Yeah, I, I thought that might have been 100 games for uh, Carlton, but I, I suppose he didn't play too many for Brisbane before he went down, and then the two ACLs uh, as well. The game I wanted to touch on, and it's more of a matchup than a game, and this is Collingwood versus West Coast. You get Nick Nat versus Brody Grundy, two of the elite ruckmen. I spoke earlier about Tim English and the percentages for hitouts to advantage. These two are a, a couple of the best in the game. I just want to read out a couple of numbers here. Four total hitouts to advantage. Grundy, 68. That's number one in the AFL. Nick Nat has 52. Clearances is where it gets interesting. Grody Grundy has 30 clearances on the season. He's more of a tap ruckman. He gets it down. We know they've got those guys in there. Uh, Trelaw, Pendlebury, Adams. These guys that are uh, such a dominant midfield. Dugowie last week got a couple of clearances at vital situations thanks to that tap work from Brody Grundy. But Nick Nat... 41 clearances on the season, which ranks fourth in the AFL for the entire season. That's not uh, just amongst Ruckman. That's amongst the entire league. He's fourth in clearances, and that hit-out-to-advantage rate is both pretty pretty good for both these guys. 27.1 for Grundy and Nick Nat, 25. So one out of every four hit-outs has been a, a damaging one for them. And the score involvements as well. They get involved in those chains. Uh, due to those clearances and due to those hit-outs, 30 for Grundy this season and 21 for Nick Nat. Uh, Nick Nat is the type of guy... Judging on those those clearance numbers, we've seen that. He's a guy that's going to tap the ball to himself in many respects, pump the ball inside 50. That's when he's at his best. Grundy, more of a, a touch-and-feel guy around the ground. He'll take contested marks. He'll hurt you around the ground at those stoppages uh, outside of the center square. But this is, this is a marquee matchup, and probably whoever wins this battle is going to go a long way to who wins this game. 
You talked about score involvements. I was looking at score launches for, for these guys, which is a number that is often dominated by Ruckman. But mm. Nat Nui is third in the league in score launch, actually equals second, 18 score launches. That means you start that chain. So you start yeah. the score involvement chain, and that is often through it's an intercept mark, a free kick, or a hit out. That's normally how that, that goes. Uh, Grundy is fifth with 16 score launches. So they are in the top five, along with uh, Goldstein, Gorn, and Lysette, so all Ruckman. But they are you know, pushing right at the top there, and that is where that hitouts to advantage comes into play. Um, I think Grundy probably does have the advantage here. He gets significantly more of the ball around the ground. It's, he's almost had 50 more disposals over the course of the season. Um, but interestingly, in he, he gets you know, more of that more of the ball. But in terms of meters gained, Nat Nui is almost 150 more meters gained over the course of the season, despite having 50 fewer disposals. So that, that's an interesting thing. Just and I think that's part of the way that Collingwood plays as well, which we've talked about so much, with more of that short handball sort of game. But it is going to be a, a really key matchup here uh, between these two teams. Uh, I, I probably would favor Grundy at this point just because I think the around-the-ground work is probably at a higher level than Nat Nui at this stage. Yeah, well, I mean, when you think about those those meters gained, uh, so Nat Nui is averaging six clearances a game. I already mentioned 41 total, but around six clearances a game. And he's a 50-meter 50 meters game guy when he gets those yeah. clearances because he just bangs the ball forward. He he uh, is not afraid to do that and just get that inside 50. Not often is he is he going sideways looking for the short handball. He gets the ball on the boot. So they're a little bit different in that regard. Grundy probably better skills uh, all around by foot and hand uh, as a player, as you mentioned. I think it's also important to note the Eagles will get Luke Shuey back or they're hoping to get Luke Shuey back. So if we look at the starting midfields around these guys, Elliot Yo, Tim Kelly, and Luke Shuey versus Taylor Adams, Adam Jalor, and Scott Pendlebury. It doesn't get too much better than that. Yeah, the Shuey one is interesting because he was um, picked last week and then didn't get up in that extended bench, but he has been named not even on the extended bench this week. So that is uh, a lot more of a, of a positive sign there. But yeah, the, the midfield battle is huge. Tim Kelly has been in really good form the last couple of weeks after a, a slow start to the year. And you've got this. There's talent all, all around both of these teams. It is going to be well, probably probably the match of the round. Or you know, Kane, are you ready to go with match of the year on this one? Um. Well, uh, <laughs> do I, what am I saying? This is going to be the match of the year. Do I need to lock this in forever? Or can I change it by Monday's pod? You change you change it every week anyway. So just uh, you can lock it in for the moment, and then just we'll we'll, uh, we'll step back on it later on. Yeah, no, uh, it probably would be match of the year at this point. You're right. I, I, I do label a new match of the year every week. So, yes, this is definitely it. I'll, I'll go with that. Let's go. Match match of the year, West Coast, Collingwood. The one I wanna, last one I want to take a look at here is uh, a match which maybe is my match of the year, Melbourne and Brisbane uh, at Metricon. We talked about it a little bit the other day, but now Brisbane has to go up against Max Gorn without Steph Martin, who is out injured. So, while uh, McInerney has been pretty good all season, has he got? And I can't believe that we're spending a whole segment talking about Ruckman here. But is yeah, Gorn is that impactful and, and that good that can? How does McInerney yeah, cover? They they brought uh, Archie Smith there as well, so yeah, I, don't, I don't think he's got much hope of really being able to impact Gorn that much. Can McInerney do it without Steph Martin around? No, I don't think so. And, uh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about two younger guys uh, that, and again, we just spoke about English and how he went against Wits. I think it's a kind of a, a similar scenario here. And just because, like you said, this is the Ruckman pot. If I, just because I know these numbers off the top of my head because I spent last night looking at them. Max Gorn, when you talk about hitouts to advantage, 
uh, percentage. Thirty-six percent of his hitouts are going to advantage. Yeah, and when huge. you think of and when you think of how dominant he is in there, I mean, it's absurd. And that's with Christian Pacharka, Jack Viney, uh, Clayton Oliver, these guys at his feet. So no, I mean, this is danger signs for Brisbane. Although, uh, again, uh, when we look at the back line, there hasn't been too many better than Harris Andrews this year. And Darcy Garden has been fantastic. And we've spoke about the rebounding ability of Daniel Rich and Grant Birchall. So I think that this is the interesting battle here. The Melbourne midfield getting the supply, getting the ball inside 50, and then the Brisbane uh, back line because we spoke about this. But Tom McDonald named on the interchange bench at this side alongside Luke Jackson. Uh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say one of those guys is going to play. It'll be interesting to see who it is. Yeah, we talked about whether uh, McDonald will get back into this squad, and he has been named on that bench along with Jackson. I, I, I did think it would be a straight swap there for McDonald coming in for Jackson. We will yeah. find that out tonight to see whether that is the case, but that that is sort of how it's how it's looking. Vandenberg out. They also brought Nathan Jones back, Joel Smith, uh, Neil Bullen, and uh, or not. His name is Alex Neil Bullen and uh, Tomlinson <laughs> returning there. And one of your mates from uh, Brisbane, Alex Witherden, who hasn't really had much of an opportunity this season, but also Brisbane with two new guys, Connor Ballenden and I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this guy's name because I haven't seen, heard of it before, Katie and Coleman. Yeah, well, his last name's Coleman, so... Got, got that uh, one right. Uh, he, he's a goal kicker. I don't know much else about him, but I'm going to assume that he's a goal kicker with that last name. But yeah, Brisbane, uh, again, I mean, they've been, they've been so impressive and, and it's the back line, it's the forward line that's now starting to show a little bit. The Ber- I love the Berry boys down there. They're hard. Uh, they win that contested footy. Cam Rayner, beautiful skills, beautiful kick for goal. He always gets on the end of one or two. So on paper, if you just had to make a tip, you'd say Brisbane, but again, when you take into account that Steph Martin's out, who, by the way, uh, isn't always the most dominant ruckman in the centre, but around the ground, does so much for the Lions. He's almost a fourth midfielder uh, around the ground. And against Max Gorn, that's pretty important. So for mine, it's just the, the midfield battle for the, for Melbourne. I think they're going to win that. So how does the Brisbane uh, backline stand up? We'll, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing is that Brisbane's backline is, is so good. And yeah, you've got Andrews down there and you've got the guys like you know, Rich and, and Starcevich and Birchall running off and, and defending that if they can keep this Melbourne forward line, which has had troubles this season, yeah, if they can limit them down, then maybe that offsets it. I still think Brisbane probably can get the win here, but the, the ruck battle and losing Martin is going to make it probably a little bit tighter than what it would have been otherwise. Uh, so the one game we didn't really mention just before we wrap this up, we're not going to get into it too much here, but Hawthorne-Sydney at the SCG. Uh, Hawthorne, I mean, you know, Sydney, we think, we know where they're at. We know they're developing. They've got a relatively young team, uh, experienced players out, quite a few injuries there, and they also lose uh, George Hewitt and Will Hayward as well. So, I mean, the injuries keep piling on for the Swans. Again, if you're the Hawks, you cannot afford to lose this game. We said this to, about the Gold Coast last week when they went to the SCG. Hawthorne now, if, if they have any hope still uh, of making the top eight, this is one they got to get. No, they, they absolutely have to have to get this one. It it's not going to be easy for them again with how no, they're with, with how they're yeah. how they're playing and then getting uh, Lewis Taylor and Sam Reed back um, for Sydney. Uh, you would think that they probably will get it, but I think there might be some interest in this game just to see exactly where Hawthorne is at because we've talked about them having a a, a tough fixture so far. But this is this is not part of the top fixture. This is one that they need to get that victory on. So it is uh, it is really key for for Hawthorne because imagine the uh, level of media pile on that's going to happen <laughs> next week if they don't get this one. It's going to be insufferable. And uh, Hawks fans have had it pretty good for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's, it still probably doesn't deserve the level of uh, of pile on that's been going around or, or created nonsense that's happening 
when uh, when Jeff Kennett's sticking his beak into everything. And then, of course, that just fuels everything that comes from there. But I don't need to go on too much more about that, Kane. Thank you. Another week of Locked On AFL is in the books. If you like what you've heard this week, go and leave a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you subscribe. You'll never miss an episode. You can do that on Stitcher and Spotify and Google Podcasts as well as Apple Podcasts. Kane, thank you again. No, I look forward to wrapping it all up on Monday. And I will just say one last thing. If anyone missed Thursday's podcast, go back and check that out. Eastern would join the show. And I thought it was a really fascinating chat. So if you missed that, uh, it, was, it was about the hub. It was about the style of footy this year in 2020. I, I thought it was a really interesting interview that Josh had with Easton. So check that one out and I'll catch you Monday, Josh. Guys, I'm going to leave you today with a shout out to Ange Christou. <laughs> 